We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Tiffany Tavares, who serves as Senior Vice President, Technology, Diversity, Community, and Sustainability, TDCS, at Wells Fargo. Prior to joining TDCS, Tiffany was SVP of Community Sponsorship and Strategy for Wells Fargo Advisors. Her career in inclusive philanthropy, program development and strategy, and stakeholder engagement has included reputable organizations such as Exelon, Comcast, which is where we met, Temple University, and Pew Center for Art and Heritage. She has earned numerous awards and recognitions. They will all be listed in the show notes. But this year alone, Tiffany was named one of Philadelphia's top women and top Latino power players by Metro Philadelphia, the 2023 Love Ambassador with Love Now Media, and the 2023 Marshall Memorial Fellow, MMF. Tiffany is a board member, a board chair. She is a co-chair of the Children's Scholarship Fund Campaign Committee. She's a first-generation college graduate who has earned degrees from both Temple University and the University of the Arts. What I appreciate most about you, Tiffany, and this is on a long list of things that I appreciate about you, are your boundaries. You are clear about what is okay and not okay, and you model what it means to have loving boundaries. Welcome to ROG, Tiffany. Oh, thank you so much. I love that intro. And it's also really shocking to me that we met during my tenure at Comcast. That's blowing my mind. Um, I thought I did not have a sense of time prior to this. Now it's just completely ruined whatever I thought I had left. So thank you. Yeah, I just feel like I've known you for decades and then I look back and I'm like, actually, yes, in fact. (laughs) You were a participant in in a mentoring program back in the day. I can provide photos. Yeah, you'll you'll have a big smile. Yeah, so we are kicking off the Latino Heritage Month series. So you're the perfect person to kick this off with me. You've also offered some great guests that our listeners will get to hear from later this month. So I thought it would be great for us to start with your background and really just take us all the way back so we can get a vision of, you know, where did Tiffany Tavares originate from? Oh my goodness. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, just thank you so much for having me. It's so great to get reconnected on here. You know, I'm a big Shannon Cassidy fan. So let's see, you know, it's so interesting that I have such um, a strong affiliation, obviously, and my love and advocacy for Philadelphia, but I actually was not born in Philadelphia. Fun fact, um, I was born in New York City. Um, I like to say I am one and a half, you know, generation American because my mother was born here. My father was not. Um, and so um, my family actually comes from primarily Dominican Republic, um, as well as, you know, of course, like everybody, right? We're like a really beautiful cocktail of a number of different places. Um, on my father's side, I also have family from, from Haiti as well. And so when I started in New York City, I started primarily in the Bronx um, and then moved to Washington Heights. 
and then from there to northern New Jersey. The one fun fact I like to share with everybody is that, you know, when, when I meet people who are like really obsessed with showing me and, and talking to me about how difficult it was to find their phone case, right? Like their dream phone case because there's so many options and they get heartbroken when it breaks or when it gets ruined or something like that. And I'm thinking, you know, the commitment that people have to these, you know, kind of small mundane things is really interesting because as someone that went to nine different schools, <laughs> I don't get attached to cell phone cases, right? And so uh, I've attended nine different schools prior to going to, to college. Um, the longest place that I've ever been was actually in high school. I attended County Prep High School in Jersey City. I was in Jersey City at the time. And that was a really great high school and then I was able to move anywhere within Hudson County. So I continued to move even though I stayed at the same high school. And that was kind of like my one request to my mother, right? Um, like, please don't make me change high schools. At least that, please don't let me change high schools. And so that worked out really great. I have a younger brother by a couple of years. And so it was the three of us, right? The three amigos kind of going through life. And, you know, my, my mother was, I like to say, both the hardest working woman I ever met, as well as my first employer that I did not get paid for the jobs, which I did in the household. So my brother and I are both actually first generation college students. I think it's really important to note because I kind of was you know, moving ahead just by a couple of years, the first thing I did was turn around and teach him how to how to figure that out as well. Um, and so the both of us have really taken on um, these new paths that have just really catapulted our lives into a different place. Uh, and that's what brought me actually to Philadelphia. I attended Temple University for undergrad, um, specifically their Tyler School of Art, which people always get really shocked when I mention that. I'm the first person Temple University ever gave a uh, full scholarship, full tuition scholarship for the arts, for the visual arts. And, you know, it's so funny. People always say, oh, so I decided, you know, you decided to not go into the arts. I said, well, that was never my my plan. I just know that I always consider myself a creative, a creative thinker. And that was just, you know, the part of my brain that really excited me the most, that enabled me to really come up with solutions to problems, to just see things differently. And I thought going to art school would be way more better and just kind of cultivate that that side of me versus business school. Um, and from there, you know, one of the things that fascinated me the most was actually how is it that people learn, right, outside of school? There's, we really underestimate the impact of the way that people are outside of school, whether it be community centers, you know, churches, other nonprofits, uh, you know, rec centers, libraries, et cetera. And so that's what really inspired me to end up getting my master's in museum studies, um, focusing on museum education and how people learned outside of the classroom. And that's what brought me to University of the Arts. And I stayed here in Philly and kind of started my career from there ever since. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for that background. And I could see how that creative ability and that innovative way that you think has really, I've, I've seen that in the parts of your career that I've had proximity to, but I also think that it's how you how you think, how you see the world. And although it must have been very challenging to have gone to so many schools as a young person, all that change and transition, it has also exposed you to a lot of different people. So you're talking about different people, different environments, and then you talk about different learning styles. So I just see that in your outlook in life. Is that true? Oh my goodness, Shannon, spot on. Um, there is no room you can put me in um, that I do not feel that I don't belong, that I don't feel like I can't talk to anyone in there. I mean, adaptability, I think, is, I believe to be one of my my strengths uh, because you know, have to figure every time you're in a new place, there's an opportunity to not just introduce yourself, but to reintroduce yourself, 
right? When you evaluate parts of you that maybe were not so great, uh, you did not tell that story so well, or you really want to be known for a particular thing. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm just going to control all the week, you know, my last year, do this all over again and hit the refresh button. And then, you know, it comes out stronger and stronger and better, um, hopefully each time. Uh, and then, you know, when it comes to even when you figure the, the way in which people learn and share information, you know, there are definitely some classrooms where I was more welcome than others. Um, but nonetheless, you know, I would say there's like a devil at every level, right? The difficulties of life never go away, but the training in which you deal with them, um, the training in which you react to them, if you decide to react, does just get better, more articulate and more refined. Um, and then hopefully takes less of a toll as you move forward um, in your life. Oh, I love that. That is so true. And the Nelson Mandela quote, which is, I either win or I learn. Oh, yeah. Right. So I'm hearing you say that, right? right. I'm either going to win and get the thing that I thought I was here to accomplish or I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn how I could do it differently, how I can adapt. Um, So what are some of your early memories of that, Tiffany? Like where you were trying something or maybe you were introducing yourself or you were in a new environment where you started to get these life lessons of like, who do I want to be? How do I want to show up? Yeah, yeah. Did I ever, um, I know we've talked, I feel like so many times, but did I ever show the story about when I got kicked out of art class? Did no, I- let's hear that one. Okay, so I'm um, talking about going back. This is very early. So I was in the third third grade. Um, we were in a class where we had like one free period every week. And during that period, it was kind of a range of just like activity. And so the teacher would tell us like, okay, this week is like art class or this month is art class, right? So what that really entailed is that every student got a box of crayons and one sheet of white paper, just one. And you know how kids really get, they get really intense. You know, they draw on that picture. If it does not come out exactly as they want, it's ruined, they get upset. And the thing is you don't get another sheet of paper. So, you know, um, I remember Sister Frances gives me a sheet of paper. I, of course, you know, quote, quote, mess up. I get so upset when I tell you I take it personally. I mean, I just, you could have told me like, you know, I just ripped up the Declaration of Independence or something really dramatic. Like, so I remember going home and I was like, that's it. I got to practice every day. So my mom would bring home like, you know, white copy paper for me to like practice. It became like the art Olympics for me. I was just practicing every single day until the following week when I would get that one sheet of paper. I get the one sheet of paper and I'm, you know, the crayons are in front of me. And I'm like, oh, it's go time. It is time to do this. So I draw this beautiful picture. I still see it in my head. There's a kind of a field of grass. There's a really, you know, kind of beautiful, big, lush tree. There's a fence. There's a dog running in the field. And then, of course, you know, the cherry on top is the sun in the picture, right, is wearing sunglasses. Because that's how bright the sun is, but the sun meets sunglasses. That's how bright it is. And I'm just there and I was thinking like, oh my God, this is like creative genius working right now, y'all. So I have my head down and I'm coloring away. And then Sister Frances standing next to me and she says, what is this atrocity, right? Now here's the thing. I'm in third grade. I don't know what atrocity is. The only thing I knew is that when adults use big words, it happened for one or two reasons. They're either impressed by you or you're in trouble. And I saw my picture and I assumed she was impressed. <laughs> So as I'm coloring away, I start singing. This is my atrocity. This is my atrocity. I said, isn't this beautiful, my atrocity? Because I thought it was a compliment. And so I looked at her face, and clearly she was not happy. And then again, she, you know, 
shot. I wanted this atrocity. Now, here's the thing I didn't tell you about the picture. Kind of my creativity came in the way that I used color. So, like, my tree was pink. The dog was purple. You know, I think the grass was blue. So you can recognize everything. It just was, you know, different kind of unique colors. I was making it my own. The teacher finally says, she actually slams her hand down. And she said, you know, um, God did not make things to look like this in nature. You know, this is horrid. You know, start screaming. And then uh, without hesitation, I was like, yeah, but God's not drawing my picture. And she shouted the audacity. So she grabs me out of the collar and starts to push me out from the back of the classroom. And you remember kind of back in the day, like the little desks, whatever. And everyone, you know, had their head down. And I'm just shouting the top of my lungs. God gave me talent. I'm just trying to use it. God gave me talent. I'm just trying to use it. And at that moment, you know, the memory for me that sticks out the most, it wasn't my picture or even Sister Francis grabbing me. Like it wasn't any of that. But I always think about almost every day I think about that classroom because no kid in that room had lifted their head up in judgment or even in agreement. And it was the first time I had witnessed fear give birth to indifference. Right. And so for me and my work every day and what I choose to do and what I choose to say or not say or not do, I always think, how am I going to get people to look up? Right. There is so much in our world day to day that people, yes, they're active in terms of, you know, maybe they have a different opinion than you, a different outlook and feel differently. And that's fine. But guess what? At least they have energy. Right. They are alive and there's something that matters to them. But there's so many more people that just have their head down, they're completely indifferent. They just could care less. They don't see it. They don't hear it. They don't feel it. And to me, that's the literal definition of a zombie. And I like to think of myself as a zombie. Yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, I love that story. I'll be, for the for the through line and for the moral of it, right? That that experience actually made my stomach hurt to think about. Anyone judging yeah. a young person expressing their talent, but we know that that exists at every age, unfortunately. So yeah. just thinking about the people with the heads down and the individuals every who age. just don't yeah. say anything to help or to just let things happen. You know, this is Hispanic Heritage Month. We are aiming to broadcast and and amplify voices where we can learn more about the shared experiences of individuals in this community. What could you share with us, Tiffany, from your life experience of maybe times where people were rude to you because of your heritage or maybe the opposite of that, individuals who helped to amplify your greatness? Yeah, no, no, that's very, that's very generous of you, um, pun intended. So, there is a quote um, by an uh, Irish author, Samuel Beckett, and he says, words are the, are the clothes our thoughts wear. I think that how we speak to people, the words that we choose are so important. I don't think that sometimes, I think that sometimes we forget or at least don't realize how much they can impact, um, change, you know, they can help or hinder someone's life, Okay. And so for me, you know, I like to say I've had um, a plethora <laughs> of verbal bombs that have been thrown at me uh, throughout my life, both personally and professionally. You know, of course, I 110% can share all the beautiful things that people have shared. Um, and I think that someone could resonate with that, right? Because it's, a, you know, beautiful moving quote or a touching gesture, et cetera. But I also think it's really important to call out 
the things that people said that were not necessarily great, that were not right, that were intentionally hurtful, right? Because yeah, for me, I always say, okay, if I'm mentioning this, does it make people uncomfortable if I mention the opposite, right? It's almost like saying, oh, this is a really great woman leader. This is a really great, you know, Afro-Latina leader. Okay, that's great. But we're never going to say Joe Biden is a really fantastic, you know, cisgender white male leader, <laughs> right? That, that, like we were still centering a particular sometimes experience or identity and othering others. In that case, when we talk about, you know, people who have been really phenomenal in our lives, again, personally or professionally, I love the fact that 100% we call them out, but we also call them out because the norm is not that. And so for me, I'm about calling out what's the norm in an effort to expose it. So that way we're, we're, we're actually really going to start to center what is right versus looking at that as, like, as an exception to the rule. So anyway, all that to say, I've had, oh my goodness, so many things I've heard. You shouldn't be so visible all the time. It just looks like you don't care about your work or your team. I once was told, you know, because you're physically larger than most of the women here, you should speak about it so you don't seem so intimidating. I've been told, um, you know, you shake hands like a man. I thought, you know, your kind was supposed to be delicate. I never forget a face, especially when it's so exotic. And then, of course, you know, the, the very, I'll just say typical, probably one of the most frequent is like, you know, what are you exactly? You know, you're not really American. There's just been, there, there's just, there's been a lot. Um, and what I would say is kind of like my quick replies and kind of ongoing expectation even of these statements doesn't refute the mental exhaustion it may cause me. Um, it's, I like to, I mean, unfortunately, I refer to it as like psychological terrorism, right? It's not meant to hurt. But it's really kind of uh, strategically um, put in a way that's like trying to break down the person that we and I, I mean, I say we, just, I know there are a lot of people that have gone through this, um, have worked so diligently to become, right? And look, I'm not trying to negate the beautiful, moving again, inspire moments that we have with neighbors and colleagues and, you know, managers, et cetera. But I do believe in being as candid and as transparent as possible about the culture in which aggressors uh, cultivate in an effort to keep their power when they feel like they're losing. Oh, thank you for that. And for, for sharing some of those examples of, you know, the kinds of things that people say, I believe in ignorance. I mean, perhaps it's meant to be hurtful. Maybe it, maybe it isn't. I don't know. Do you, I mean, do you have a sense of like the, the intent or, the, the purpose of why people say some of those things? Oh my goodness. Um, honestly, I don't, I don't really put it this way. I, you know, all of us wake up, let's say, I think of, you know, we're going to compare ourselves to, to phones. Let's go about the phone case earlier. I'm going to keep it in the same. If each of us wake up, right, with a hundred percent charge, um, you can get more rest this evening. You're not going to wake up with 125 tomorrow. Everyone starts to, you know, have a hundred when you, when you wake up. So knowing that, my only job is to curate where I allocate my energy. And so if I put energy into figuring out why and the purpose and motivation for someone else's ignorance, I don't think that's a great use of my energy, right? So it is not my responsibility to figure out or hypothesize as to why that someone is that the way they are and why they don't care about my being, why they're interested in harming me, whether it be mentally, spiritually, emotionally, or physically. 
that's not my role. Because the more energy I put towards that, the less energy I put towards myself and those that do have a vested interest in my growth and my health and my well-being. Ah, well said. Thank you. I just saw I saw you react when I said that, and I wanted to double click on that. I'm glad I did because that was yeah. that was really helpful. No, but I think that. I think that's a fair question. Honestly, every time I, you know, either in a meeting or do a public speaking, there's so many people, especially a lot of young people, younger people that are starting their career or just leaving school. And that's probably the number one question I get. Like, how do you deal with someone else's X, Y, Z? You know, how do I convince them that X, Y, and I just say, you're only responsible for you. You cannot control, I mean, I always right, remind them, I said, look, you know, this tough, this, this work around DEI is very tough, right? But ignorance is very successful because it is one of the most inclusive mofos I've ever met. It just is. And so you cannot, um, you know, fight against something that has been so successful, way more successful, and not to mention the longevity of that success has existed way before I was born. And so for me to take the onus of the responsibility that somehow I'm going to get rid of it, no, I could do my part 100%. But that's not my, I don't, I don't um, take on labor. I don't get compensated for financially, spiritually, or emotionally. That's it. So if there was ever a group with whom I would choose not to be associated, ignorance is one of them. I would prefer not to be in the group. So to help me with that, what are some of the language choices that you've heard people say that are indicators to you of, uh-uh, this is, this is the kind of unsafe, battery-draining kind of a person, <laughs> you know, because I, I think you could probably see it from a mile away. Um, yeah, no, 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 that's such a fantastic question. I appreciate, uh, you know, putting positioning it that way. So when I keep going back to the question that um, I had said earlier about like the, what are you question? And, you know, for me, it's so funny. I remember someone asked me like, what's the best answer for that question? Like, how can I answer that in a way? And I'm like, you know, I just want us, meaning anyone, however you identify to get to a place where we actually don't feel forced or even feel the need to answer that question. So normally what I would do is ask people to articulate what they mean, right? But I say, well, what do you mean? I just kind of play down. What do you mean? And then they'll do this, you know, you know what I mean. I'm like, no, what do you mean? And then they're like, you know what I mean. I said, oh, so you want me to directly answer a question you're not willing to directly ask. And they're like, well, and I said, well, because you know that directly asking is inappropriate, it's wrong, and it's insulting, but you still want me to answer it. I said, so if you're uncomfortable asking out loud, you're not going to be comfortable if I answer it out loud, right? And so you're willing to say it, like the onus is on, is on you. So some other things outside of kind of, you know, asking people to, what I like to say, justify their identity. Another, another thing, it's funny, um, I recently was asked what makes the Philadelphia Latino community unique. That, that gave me a lot of insight um, into, I'll just say, <laughs> that publication thought process around this is because, you know, the concept of what makes a particular community unique, you know, continues to cultivate the idea that people are responsible for justifying their presence and their purpose, right? Um, while other groups are afforded the luxury of being centered as a norm, right? I, I, every day I wake up, I don't feel the need to explain why I or the community I identify with exists, right? So essentially, 
asking someone, you know, you know, what, what, what makes this particular community unique? It's really actively othering them. You know, I tell people all the time and someone even asked me over this past few days, what do I do when I feel like I don't belong? And what do you do when people tell you that you don't, right? And in their way. And I said, you know, I don't want to confuse those two points. I think that someone can 100% feel like they don't belong. And when I say that it's okay, meaning if this shirt doesn't fit me, I don't have a horrible body. It just means the shirt doesn't fit me and I can get another one, right? That's fine. But I think that if there are people actively trying to make you feel not included, and again, being other, that's very different. Either way, in either situation, you shouldn't personalize it as there being something wrong with you. And I think that's the part that people forget, um, that you yourself have power. You have power as well. And so for me, you know, even growing up, um, you know, you had mentioned to be, uh, you know, my mom, you know, she really emphasized and, and taught us that we have, each of us individually have our own power and we have to walk in that every day. And so every time, again, you put energy to someone that is interested, that actually uses their power to try to remove yours, they don't have your best interests and don't let them, right? So for me, that's a big, I don't know, that's a big part of my, you know, um, the importance of language and how you speak to people. Because uh, it all starts also with how you speak to yourself. And I don't think a lot of people speak very kindly to themselves. Mm, that's an interesting um, thought as well. And I think for for individuals listening who view themselves as generous and inclusive leaders and are actively aiming to cultivate a culture of belonging and inclusion, to be thoughtful about what are some of the ways that you might be centering, you know, any form of uh, community, be it whiteness or abilities or whatever it is that you are challenging yourself to think about how am I phrasing this and even who am I getting inputs from to help me understand that I'm too narrow in the way in which I'm looking at this. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. I think even for myself, you know, one thing I know I'm uh, actively working on for me right now is even when I come up, like as a first have to create a document, you know, or a PowerPoint presentation, I have to remind myself, well, those who are considered you know, uh, neurotypical and understand the material that I'm putting together, right? But those who are neurodiverse, they may, they may not. And so I want to be sure that, you know, because I work with people, I have to, the honor of working with people of all um, types of abilities. And I want to be sure that I'm inclusive of them, that even, you know, making sure when you think about inclusivity, you're not just including, you know, four <laughs> diversity, you know, diverse, diversity dimensions, so to speak. And then just saying, well, you know, it's not my responsibility for the rest, right? And and so for me, if I say I'm inclusive, I really have to diversify, funny enough, what that means and who that includes and what that, you know, what that's like, whether it be, you know, gender, sexuality, religion, you know, et cetera. And just also remember, you know, and that's another thing, even when people say, you know, they refer to particular, like even, I would say the biggest thing with language um, as well in this, when people talk about, a diverse person. It's one of my biggest pet peeves on the planet because it just implies that they're diverse, but this this thing, this community, this person in the center is not. Every single person is diverse. And so when you're referring to diverse people, it's really code for, you know, black, brown, disabled, you know, what, how, what have you. 
And so if you're, you know, if you're referring to yourself as an inclusive leader, but still say, you know, diverse people, you gotta, your, your language is not reflecting the intention. Mm, mm, my gosh, so helpful to be reminded <laughs> of that. So going back to you in third grade, I'm picturing you in third yeah. grade and having this experience and just the, because I think the part of the story that we maybe passed over is the practice, the way that you prepared wow. for <laughs> game day, you know, where you were like, I'm going to yeah, get another yeah. opportunity, right? I think that there's something really powerful in that. And then also the part where how you responded to the audacity statement, you didn't know what it was, but, you know, you kind of took it and ran with it and created your own mantra. I actually think there's some really rich life lessons in there, Tiffany, um, <laughs> around just practicing, you know, mastery in a way too. And then the, you know, way that you saw what you were doing versus how someone else saw it. And it it didn't take away really from what you wanted that to be, right? So could you just do that a little more? It's interesting. Um, It's funny you called out the word audacity because it is one of my favorite words. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would say that they associate the word audacity with you know, unfortunately, something very negative, right? Like, how dare they have the audacity? It's seen as, to me, the strength and courage to do something that people don't prefer. Like, that's how audacity to me is viewed, right? But, but audacity is just simply having that and how people apply it, whether or not you like it, that's, that's not their issue, right? So you, can't, you can't blame the audacity. That's just the direction in which it went. And so for me... You know, um, you know, I can I can bore you with stories all all day. Um, but I remember I'm just looking up the definition. Yeah. I just looked up the definition of audacity and it says a willingness to take bold risks. Uh-huh. Yeah, I didn't, didn't say you. to, you know, piss people off, <laughs> to offend anyone. That's like that to be offended. Yeah, exactly. It's like just to irritate people. Like, no, we we attach that to the end of it, but it, it's really just about like the um, so to speak, right? There's sometimes there's even no word for it. But I remember, um, you know, it's so funny. I always think that, you know, the biggest luxury in life is having options. And so for me, I feel like a lot of my life is just researching what options I have, right? Because if I were to base all of my decisions in life based on what I currently know at this moment, that's very limiting. So I feel very responsible to like, what is it that I don't know? What are titles that I never thought I would have, right? You know, if you told me 10 years ago, when we were at HM, you're going to be working at a bank. I'd be like, oh, you're crazy. Guess what? And then now I'm at in one of the world's largest banks, right? So you just never know where, where life is going to lead you. And I remember reaching out to a very senior leader um, during a trip. Um, and when I say a trip, it was a vacation because I'm a crazy person. And when I go on vacation, um, if I'm someplace that's like not a beach, I will use, leverage the opportunity to connect with a random person while I'm there. You just never know. And so years ago, I happened to be going to Madrid. And I remember I was, you know, working on something and I had the television on and there was a a, a soccer game, football game. And it was, you know, Barcelona versus another team that was inevitably going to lose. And I remember it was a big deal because Barcelona had just announced a new logo on their jersey. And that was, I noticed it immediately because, again, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a visual learner. And I thought, oh, that's weird. You know, I'd never seen that logo. And the reason why it was really big, it was a, a Middle Eastern airline. And oftentimes, people don't realize that rival teams will have rival sponsors, right? Rival sponsors at large. And so I thought, okay, if Barcelona has this logo, that means Real Madrid must have a new logo as well of the other 
big Middle Eastern airline. Sure enough, I looked up, they fit. And then a light bulb went off. I'm like, oh, that was someone's job, right? To secure that relationship. And so I started doing research online of who that person is. And I eventually found him. And he was the head of international sponsorship for Real Madrid, which is one of the most, if not the richest, um, sports clubs in, in the world. And we ended up meeting in person while I was in Madrid. And I remember we had an amazing meeting. We talked for like two, two and a half hours. He was very generous with his time. I was kind of shocked. And of course, on the outside, I'm acting all cool, right? When he's giving me a tour of the, you know, Bernabeu Stadium, I'm like, oh yeah, cool. And on the inside, I'm just like, oh. So I, anyway, at the end of this meeting, he said to me, he said, you know, I um, was really shocked, you know, at your message and, you know, what you wrote. And, you know, I had to see who had the audacity to send me a message like that. That's why I agreed. Who had the audacity? And I just, you know, mentally, I did this to me. Success. <laughs> Victory shall be mine. And honestly, I always think to myself, will I ever encounter something I'm not going to have the audacity to do? And I have yet to encounter that because oftentimes people who are constantly doubting themselves, we growing for people that don't. So I, you know, choose chronic self-conviction or chronic self-doubt. Love, love, love that. So <laughs> we need not leave our listeners with any other takeaway tip other than to find your audacity. Like for you listeners to think, you know, for, for Tiffany Tavares, yeah. it's audacity. I'm, I'm going to just find ways, stretch what's possible yeah. and look for solutions to problems that seemingly no one else is really noticing these patterns and uh, just being courageous and willing to take risks. So for our listeners yeah. to think, you know, what is their version of that? Because I think that is a personalized thing. Right. Um, also the recognizing the impact of language. So for us to do a self audit of, you know, how are we expressing ourselves? Are yeah. we othering people? unintentionally, how are we speaking to ourselves? Like that's a good starting place, right? That, that self-talk and, you know, for us to be thinking about how are we demonstrating, you know, inclusive leadership and celebrating the, what's great about other individuals. Um, what other takeaway tips would you have for our listeners, Tiffany? Oh, that's such a, a great question. The, the only two that I can think of, one would be that, you know, the audacity for me is not just about, you know, taking advantage or getting to know or, or, or leveraging something that's external as much as it is about or running parallel to me also getting to know myself, right? I think that we assume, okay, this is who I am. This is my name. I know my early story. This is the job I have. This is what my family looks like. You know, this is what food I like to eat. I think that when people fill out, kind of their life resume, right? They feel like they don't have to get to know them anymore, um, get to know themselves anymore. And, you know, I love being surprised by me. It's something that I may really enjoy or something I may find really moving or beautiful. But part of that is allowing yourself to be open to that, you know? And I think when people say they fear the unknown, that's not just external, the things that are outside them. It's also fearing the parts of them that they know are probably in there that they haven't explored, that they haven't considered. And or forgot about, right? You know, it's so funny when some people talk about like this whole the idea of, like inner child. Yeah, I don't think that for me, I would give any advice to my inner child that would be different than the path I've taken. And would be say, oh, what advice did you give to younger self? I wouldn't say anything. 
you know, I, I'm in close proximity. They keep going. Yeah, I'm, I'm in close proximity to who she is. And we have agreed on everything and the way we've moved forward. So they're not a separate person. If that is, if you do view them as a separate person, you have not done a good job of cultivating who they are, as well as shutting yourself out from other parts of you. I think there's, there's that. And then the other thing would be, you know, uh, you know, as you know, um, again, having known each other a long time now, as I've been reminded, um, you know, civic engagement and volunteerism is really important to me. And I get a lot of questions around, you know, I would love to be on a board or a committee. What should I do? Where should I go, et cetera? And I think, you know, again, that's great. And I applaud that. But it has really been eye-opening to me how much people actually have not identified what is it that they care about. And, you know, and I, and I know that people kind of go, oh, it bothers me that there is, you know, not enough, um, you know, not enough jobs, right, for everyone. Or that, you know, there is no major city in America where people, you know, um, that, that live and survive on the minimum wage actually are able to, to afford housing in that city. Or the fact that all, you know, children in schools don't have access to a healthy meal or a safe environment, like these sorts of things. But I think part of getting to know yourself is also part of what is it that you really care about that you would love to impact in some way, even if small. And I think that's a journey that a lot of people haven't taken, but yet they're, they'll do the work to get the leadership role for something. And my thing is, if you see me lead something, it's not because I was trying to fulfill a title. It's because I really care about that thing. And whether or not I had that title, I would do it. That's right. Yes. Yes. You wanted to personally invest your time, talent, and treasure in that thing so that you could be... Yes. Yeah. That's one of the resources that I'm working on creating. I love your input on it, Tiffany, is around a generosity strategy. You know, Uh, how can we be... You know, when you have strategies for everything else, but... We need one on how are we investing this precious, finite amount of time, talent, and treasure that we're given. Um, so thank you so much for being a friend all these years and and an inspiration. I so appreciate you and applaud you and just thank you for investing in this podcast. Oh my goodness. It is such a pleasure and an honor to, to be here. It is a gift. And you know, I think the fact that you have been so consistent with these messages is really, really remarkable. You know, you haven't kind of moved away, whatever, like really hot or it's proper at the moment. You've been really consistent. I think, you know, consistency means that there's a strong foundation and I appreciate your foundation. Mm, Thank you. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.